So as I mentioned, I was not originally scheduled to do this sermon. I got a notice around one o'clock on Thursday afternoon um, that one pastor was out and then his backup was out and I was the backup to the backup. <laughs> so I, sp I spoke with Gary on the phone at one o'clock on Thursday afternoon and he told me one of two things. I'll let you decide which one it was that he actually said. He said, you can say anything you want. <laughs> or he said, you can preach from anything you want. I think it was the latter. But let's just pretend for a second that it was the former. And that it was that I could say anything I wanted. With that, I'm going to read to you from C.S. Lewis's The Last Battle. Um, give you some context before I read this passage. I'm going to read from a passage uh, near the very end of the book, but I want to give you some context before, before I do that. Uh, the scene here is um, your general, like your, your well-known characters throughout the Chronicles of Narnia, Peter, Lucy, Edmund, Eustace, Jill, they've all been thrown into this barn stable. And to them, the barn stable is beautiful. It's not what you would picture a barn stable looking like. It's beautiful. Flowers everywhere. It is for them the very beginnings of heaven. Think the foothills of the mountains that then open up into something far greater. That's kind of what this is for those characters. There's some other people that are thrown into the barn stable as well. One of those people or some of those people being a group of dwarfs. They don't see the beauty within it. To them, it is just a barn stable. And with that, let me start. <clears throat> Bear with me. We are going somewhere with this. <clears throat> One of the dwarves has just said to the characters, uh, basically, we just got thrown into a black hole and we can't see anything. It's completely dark. Here we start. There is no black hole, save in your own fancy, fool, cried Tyrion. Come out of it. And leaning forward, he caught Diggle by the belt and the hood and swung him right out of the circle of dwarves. But the moment Tyrion put him down, Diggle darted back to his place among the others, rubbing his nose and howling, Ow! Ah! Oh! What'd you do that for? Banging my face against the wall. You nearly broke my nose. Oh dear, said Lucy, what are we to do for them? Let him alone, said Eustace, but as he spoke, the earth trembled. The sweet air grew suddenly sweeter. A brightness flashed between them, all turned. Tyrion turned last because he was afraid. There stood his heart's desire, huge and real, the golden lion, Aslan himself. And already the others were kneeling in a circle around his forepaws and burying their hands and faces in his mane, as he stooped his great hand or his great head to touch them with his tongue. Then he fixed his eyes upon Tyrion, and Tyrion came near, trembling. He flung himself at the lion's feet. The lion kissed him and said, Well done, last of the kings of Narnia, who stood firm at the darkest hour. Quick aside. Aslan is the Christ-like character. How many of you here long to hear, well done? You long for it. You're waiting for it. Well done. 
Aslan said Lucy through her tears, could you, will you do something for these poor dwarves? Dearest, said Aslan, I will show you both what I can and what I cannot do. He came close to the dwarves and gave a long growl, low, but it set all the air shaking. But the dwarves said to one another, hear that? That's the gang on the other side of the stable trying to frighten us. They do it with a machine of some kind. Don't take any notice. They won't take us in again. Aslan raised his head and he shook his mane. Instantly, a glorious feast appeared upon the dwarves' knees. Pies and tongues and pigeons and trifles and ices. And each dwarf had a goblet of good wine in his right hand. But it wasn't much use. They began eating and drinking greedily enough, but it was clear that they couldn't taste it properly. They thought they were eating and drinking only the sort of things you might find in a stable. One said he was trying to eat hay. Another, he had gotten a bit of an old turnip. And a third said he found a raw cabbage leaf. And they raised golden goblets of rich red wine to their lips and said, Ugh! Fancy drinking dirty water out of a trough that a donkey's been at. I never thought we'd come to this. But very soon, every dwarf began suspecting that every other dwarf had found something nicer than he had, and they started grabbing and snatching and went on to quarreling till in a few minutes, there was a free fight, and all the good food was smeared on their faces and clothes or trodden underfoot. When at last they sat down to nurse their black eyes and their bleeding noses, they all said, well, at any rate, there's no humbug here. We haven't let anyone take us in. The dwarves are for the dwarves. You see, said Aslan, they will not let us help them. They have chosen cunning instead of belief. Their prison is only in their minds, yet they are in that prison, so afraid of being taken in that they cannot be taken out. You see, the children are able to see and hear the great lion. They're able to see and hear the realities and the truths that he brings. The dwarfs, the dwarfs cannot. Since I got to pick what I'm preaching on, I don't know about you guys, but as I read the Bible, and then as I, as I come here and, and we preach through it week after week, there are moments where I, we get to a passage, or if it's just in my reading, I get to a, a phrase and I make a note in my Bible. Sometimes it's just a question mark. Sometimes it's a, hmm, interesting. Sometimes it says why, question mark, or what, question mark. There's uh, several small lines in the parables that we've been working through in Matthew that stuck out to me like that. The first one appears in Matthew eleven fifteen, and it says this, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then Matthew 13, if you want to open your Bibles to there, you, you can. Matthew 13, verse 9, same phrase. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That is again repeated in verse 43 of Matthew 13. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then in Matthew 13, verses 16, we get a little bit more, but it's a similar notion. Matthew 13, verse 16 says, uh, states, blessed are those, are, blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. 
For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. You see, the dwarves in the last battle, they are at the very beginnings of heaven with Christ raining his authority down upon them, and they don't have the ears to hear it or the eyes to see it. So, I want to do a deep dive today into having the ears to hear and the eyes to see. I want to do that maybe through a series of questions. The first of those questions, at least the first question that comes to me, you may have a different first question as you come to that, to that sentence, but my first question is, the ears to hear what? The eyes to hear what? To, to hear and to see what? But I think before we get to that, before we can address that question, I think there's actually one other question that needs to be addressed and answered before that, and it's, who is it? Who is it that has the ears to hear and the eyes to see? And with that, let's turn, if you've got your Bible open or your phone open, turn to John 10, please. We are going to read today... Um, some, some just longer passages of scripture throughout this sermon, but I just want to like make it known now, we are reading some like chocked full of amazing stuff passages. I mean, blow your mind and your heart passages that we're going to look at today. So uh, John 10, we're going to start in verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 28. And again, keep in mind, the question we're looking at here is, who is it? Who is it that has the ears to hear and the eyes to see? So John 10, starting in verse 1. Truly, truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. 
No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I I told you, and you did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe, because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So, who is it that has the ears to hear and the eyes to see? It is the sheep of the good shepherd's flock. It is the one who know his voice, who belong to his flock, who follow him when he leads. Let's look at verses 1 through 4 again of of John 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, and the sheep will hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. Why? For they know his voice. And then verse 14 of John 10. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. It is the sheep of the good shepherd's flock that know his voice. Before I move on to maybe a couple of additional observations that I want to talk about from John 10, from this passage, one particularly from what I just read, verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. This doesn't necessarily have to do with my sermon, but it's so remarkable, I want you to feel it. I want to make sure that you feel it. He says, he's talking to the Israelites, and he's saying, I have other sheep. They're not of this fold, which means they're not of Israel. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. He's talking about the Gentiles. He's saying to the Israelites, I have other sheep, other people who are going to, other souls that are going to have ears to hear, and they're going to follow my voice. Don't lose sight of the fact, the glorious fact. That's you. Jesus is talking to the Israelites. If you sit in this room and you believe, which we're going to get to in a second. If you believe, you have the ears to hear and the eyes to see. He's talking about you. That's amazing. He's saying there's going to be others. They're going to come such that it's going to be not two, one flock, 
one good shepherd. I don't know about you, that just fires up my heart. Another one, uh, another one from verse 9. Let me read verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. This is another aside. doesn't necessarily have to do with my sermon, but I think it's so good as I was preparing for this. I just have to mention it. How many of you have farm animals? You take care of farm animals. Or in the past, you had family that took care of farm animals. <laughs> my daughter up here. Okay. We own three goats. If you've owned farm animals, uh, and even if you haven't, this will probably make sense. When you go out to feed them in the morning, if, if so for us, we have to go out and grab uh, flakes of alfalfa and take it over to them. When they see you walking out to the alfalfa, they go crazy. They're at the fence, feet are up on the fence, they're making all kinds of crazy noises. Why? Because they want to be fed, and they know it's, it's eating time. Uh, if you, even if you didn't, we used to live in Brighton, so we had about three acres in Brighton, and uh, we had our goats there, and we kept them kind of in a paddock, and then saw a sheepfold, kind of what our scripture is talking about here, uh, we had them in a paddock, and we would let them out to go to pasture. Same sort of deal. They know what's coming. They know you're coming to open up the gate and to let them out. They're clamoring right at the gate. And if you don't watch out, they're going to run over you when you open up that gate. Point, what am I, what am I trying to drive out here? Point being, they want to be fed. And they know that they're going to be fed. Jesus is saying, you come to me, your soul wants to be fed Come to me. You'll get it. You will get fed. Joy, life, hope, reconciliation, all the things that you long for, you will get. You'll be able to go to pasture. Last thing I kind of want to highlight here. <clears throat> the sheep of the good shepherd don't follow the voice of a stranger. Look at verse 1. Truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. And then down to verse 5, a stranger they will not follow. They will flee from, for they do not know the voice of strangers. The, good, the sheep of the good shepherd, the ones who have ears to hear and eyes to see, don't follow the voice of those who are trying to destroy, those who are trying to wreak havoc to devastate the church, to devour people who care only for themselves. Sheep don't follow that voice. Sheep follow the voice of the good shepherd. We don't follow the voice of a stranger or a thief or a robber who cares only about destroying. So those are the ones that have the ears to hear and the eyes to see. Now with that, Let's flip back to that first question. Ears to hear what? Eyes to see what? For that, turn back to Matthew 13. We're going to look again at verse uh, 16 that we read earlier. Ears to hear what? Eyes to see what? Matthew 13, verse 16. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. 
For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Ears to hear what, eyes to see what. Truth. That's what they have the ears to hear. Beauty, the eyes to see. Joy, life, hope, glory. All of it summed up in what Jesus is talking about in verse 17. Prophets, righteous people, long to see what? They long to hear what? He's talking about himself. He's standing right in front of them saying, They longed to hear it. Praise God that you have the ears to hear the words that he's speaking. He's talking about himself. So ears to hear what? Eyes to see what? Jesus and his voice. A better question might actually be ears to hear whom? Eyes to see whom? The next question that comes to my mind uh, as, I'm, as I consider that little phrase, he who has ears, let him hear, how do you come about? How does one come about having the ears to hear and the eyes to see? We're going to look at Ephesians 1. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and flip over to Ephesians 1. <clears throat> so how does one coming up come about having the ears to hear and the eyes to see first you believe it belief so Ephesians 1 starting in verse 3 blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through him, sorry, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory." So we believe. There it is right there in verse, what do we have there? 13. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, 
We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So that's, how does one come about having ears to hear and eyes to see? We believe. We believe the truth. And then the next thing we're going to look at is Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. We believe by faith. So let's read Ephesians 2 now. Starting in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We believe by faith. You don't have to turn here, but I'm going to read Romans 3, uh, 21 through 25. It kind of puts both of these in a short, kind of succinct couple of verses. Belief, faith. Romans 3, verse 21. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Again, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. I think we might help if we do a little bit of work on two, those, those two words, to believe or belief and faith. So let's start with belief. To believe is not simply to have the right cognition about what is good and right and true. It isn't to have the right understanding, simply anyway, the right understanding about what is good and right and true. It isn't, oh, I have all of the right answers for the test, so when I stand before God, when I die, I'll be able to say all the right things. I'll have the right theology. I'll be able to say the right things. To believe is not simply, it's not merely mentally ascribing to the notion that Jesus died for your sin. In a recent book that he wrote uh, titled Until Unity, Francis Chan has this quote. Just because you believe a truth doesn't guarantee that you possess it. A.W. Tozer describes the textualist as a person who assumes that because he affirms the Bible's veracity, he automatically possesses the things of which the Bible speaks. 
Too many people live as though affirming a biblical truth is equivalent to having it in reality. To believe is not simply to know the right answers about truth. It is to be possessed by it. And I would argue that to be possessed by it means it's gone from your mind to saturate your heart. The Bible talks about the heart as the place where our will, our desire rests. It is seated there. It is the place which we decide or from where we decide what will we have allegiance to. To believe is to possess the truth of the gospel. To believe is to possess these things. What I'm about to list out here. To believe is to possess these with all of who you are. Apart from Christ, you are a sinner. I am a sinner. An enemy of the all-knowing, all-powerful, fearful, living God. Everyone is. There are no distinctions. Believing means that you possess the truth that God put Jesus forward on the cross to spill his blood so that by grace, through faith, as a free gift, you are justified and redeemed, and that apart from anything that you do. To possess this is to believe it with all of who you are, not just your mind. All of who you are, willingly bending the knee of allegiance and joyful obedience to Jesus. Our minds, yes, but also our soul, our heart, which as I said before, is that's where allegiance lies. And it's the place which we as humans often do not give. Faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 gives us a pretty good definition for faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Let me repeat that again. Again, this is Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Here's some things I think we hope for. We hope for forgiveness from sin or of sin. We hope for a release of condemnation. For those of you who struggle under the voice of shame, we hope for a release from shame. We hope for a release from guilt. We hope for reconciliation with God to be accepted by him, to hear that well done that we read from Narnia, to truly have fellowship and relationship with him. Faith is the assurance of those things. Conviction. Conviction of things not seen. Here's some things I don't think we see. We don't physically see our sin. We might see physical manifestations of it. So I might get mad and punch somebody. I would hope I wouldn't do that. But I might get mad and punch somebody. That would certainly be a physical 
manifestation of my sin, something that is coming from the heart and expressing itself outward. But it's not as if my sin presents itself in some personified form before me. I don't physically see my sin. We don't physically see Jesus. You know the passage here, and I'm going to butcher this probably. I didn't quote it the first, in the first service, but where Jesus said, blessed are you because you see, blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. That's us, right? We don't see him face to face. We don't physically see our justification. The fact that believing by faith you are justified and now accepted by God, that isn't something that we physically see. Faith is being convicted that all of these things are real just the same. We are sinners. Jesus was real. His body was broken and bled out for you to be justified. And you are if you believe by faith. Faith is being convicted of those realities, even though you can't see them. I said earlier, there are times where I'm reading or I'm, I'm sitting out here and somebody's preaching from here, and you come across a, you know, a passage or a verse and you make a note. Hmm, that was interesting. I also have times, and I bet, I bet a lot of you have had this too, where you've read a passage, like, 50 times, and then for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit illumines that passage in a way that you hadn't really seen before, and you're like, it just affects you, it hits you in a different way. Uh, several years ago, we preached through the book of Genesis here as a church. I forget how many years ago now, but several years ago, and there was something from Genesis 1 that really hit me powerfully in ways that hadn't before. You don't have to turn here. Uh, if you want to, you can turn to Genesis 1. I'm not going to give you a whole lot of detail here. But just to state this, something remarkable is said in, in Genesis 1, verses 4, 10, 12, 18, 21, and 25. Anybody know what's said there? And it was good. I don't know how many times I read that before. And then you get to verse, 20, uh, verse uh, 31, after he's created man and woman, and he says, and it was very good. Again, I don't know how many times I've read that over or maybe heard it preached, but when we read through it here and it was preached through here, what occurred to me is or perhaps what I should probably more accurately say is what I felt like the Holy Spirit maybe revealed was there's nobody else prior to the creation of man and woman. There's nobody else in creation. So who gets to determine what is good? All those other days of creation, and it said it was good. That's the Lord defining what the word good is there. He gets to define it because there's nobody else in creation to define it. And he gets the authority to say, not just define what the word good even is. So who gets to say what's good, what's not good? He defines the word, but he also has the authority to say that it was so. That blew my mind. Why? 
if you carry that all the way through to the cross, the cross is enough for your justification. Why? Because God the Father says so. Period. He has the authority to say, that's enough. It's done. Think of uh, John's depiction of the end of Jesus' life. Jesus says, it is finished. It's enough. And I think that is talking far more about Jesus is about to take his last breath. Yes, but all of the wrath of God has been poured out. It's done. And if we need more proof, the resurrection of Jesus is God saying, it's enough. That's the stamp of approval. He is resurrected. Lord, the Lord has the authority to say it is good. And he has the authority to say the cross is enough for your justification. Believe it by faith. And those who believe the truth of that gospel, that it is enough, who believe it by faith, are then transferred. They're transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light and brought into the family of God or, as it were, into the flock of the good shepherd. Let me read John 1, 12 through 13 to, to kind of highlight this for us. To all who did receive him, that's Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Those who believe by faith are the sheep who hear his voice, and he leads them out. They listen to his voice, and they obey, because they believe by faith that he really is who he says he is, and we really are redeemed and rescued. We, those sheep who follow the good shepherd and his flock, have the ears to hear truth and goodness and the eyes to see him at work. His word resonates in the heart. And it resonates not just in the large things of life, but in the small things. And with that, one last question that's going to turn us back to the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. How does having the ears and the eyes of a sheep in the good shepherd's flock illuminate not simply this parable such that we can read the parable and say like, yeah, that makes sense. I understand it. But how do we have the ears and the eyes of a sheep in the real life working out of this parable? Let's take a look at the parable again. If you're still in Ephesians like me, flip back. Matthew 13. Starting in verse 4, we're kind of going to take a look at the seeds and the explanations to hopefully drive this home. <clears throat> Matthew 13, verse 4. As he sowed, so this is the sower going out to sow a seed. As he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Go over to verse 19 for the explanation. 
When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So um, those who hear the word of God, they hear the gospel truth, and they don't understand it. Satan comes and just snatches that up off the path. The next seed, verse 5. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depths of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Over to verse 20 for the explanation of this. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. The next seed in verse 7. Other seeds fell among the thorns. The thorns grew up and choked them to verse 22 for the explanation there. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And our last seed, verse 8. Other seeds, they fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. To verse 23 for the explanation there. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundred, in another sixty, and in another thirty. The last seed, those are the sheep who have the ears to hear and the eyes to see. They are the blessed from verse 16 because they are sheep of the good shepherd. They hear his voice because they have believed by faith and they possess it. Here's the thing, though, as I was reading this explanation particularly, one of the things I was struck by is those seeds, those whose hearts are captured by the Lord Jesus who believe by faith, who have the ears to hear and the eyes to see, I want to argue they still face just about everything else that every other seed faced. There's a sense in which the seed that falls on the path, and then the explanation of that is those who don't understand, there's an argument that could be made that those are the ones who are not part of the flock of God, so of course they're not going to understand is going to be snatched up. That makes sense. I've been following Jesus for some time now in my life. Believe I have the ears to hear and the eyes to see. But I would argue with you and submit to you today, understanding the things of the Lord are still hard sometimes. When there's an earthquake in Haiti that kills hundreds of thousands, if, when there's a tsunami that kills hundreds of thousands, when I have to talk with one of you who has lost a child in utero, and I have to say at some point, I don't know 
why that happened to you. Understanding the ways of God is difficult sometimes. There are things in this book that are hard. Old Testament passages about dashing children's heads against the rocks. Hard to wrap your brain, your heart around. I don't think that we are completely, those who are that last seed are completely immune from the difficulties of just wrestling with truth in the world that we live in. That, la- that, that, that second seed uh, on the rocky ground faces, it endures for a while, but then it faces tribulation or persecution. Tribulation, that's trials and suffering. I dare say everyone in this room and watching online has faced tribulation, has faced trials and suffering. Maybe right now, in the middle of it. Persecution? Persecution runs rampant in our culture. Your workplace, friends, family. Persecution is everywhere. That third seed amongst the thorns grows up, it gets choked out. What? By? By the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. That's what chokes out that one. Cares of the world. We all live in this world. All of us. Everyone who is one of those fourth seed, the one who does actually produce, we live in this world. The cares of it? If you're a parent in here, does it ever cross your mind? I may get killed in a car wreck tomorrow. What's going to happen to my family? That's a care of the world. And if you keep going down that road, it takes you to a pretty dark place. We all wrestle with cares. The deceitfulness of riches. Man, here, we could elaborate on this and just say, we all struggle with temptation. Being a sheep of the good shepherd's flock does not mean that we are taken out of the ability to be tempted. And we are all certainly tempted, at least I know I am, by the deceitfulness of riches. Riches offers a whole lot of things, generally all of them, not that, being, not that having wealth is bad. Please don't hear me saying that. But it is uh, really quick to go from that to a place of idolatry. If I just have enough money, I'll be safe. I'll be secure. My family will be safe. My family will be secure. I will be insulated from pain. All of which is deceitful because that is an idol that lies to you and will not, will not deliver. Again, my point here is that fourth seed, those who have eyes and ears to hear, who are of the flock of Jesus, we are not immune from temptation, persecution, trials, suffering, having to wrestle with the truths of God in the face of difficult, painful situations around us or in our own lives. But they persevere through them. Their belief and their faith 
is not choked out by those things. He is not choked out by trials, by suffering, or by hardship. Temptation does not carry us off into idolatry. In the midst of painful circumstances, we can still say, God is good. And our belief and our faith remain intact. They are those, we are those, again, in the flock of God, hearing the good shepherd's voice, who come back amidst all of the things happening in our lives, we come back to his voice again and again and again and again because he's our shepherd. I want to close with uh, Philippians 4 here. Philippians 4, verse 4. I'm going to read this to hopefully solidify for us this notion that we can persevere having the eyes that see and ears that hear. Uh, Philippians 4, starting in verse 4. To, to many of you, this will be a familiar passage. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Those who have the ears to see, there it is, John. Knew it was going to be one of these times. Who have the ears to hear and the eyes to see. Those who are of the flock of Jesus, who believe by faith, um, we can walk through anything, particularly difficulty, um, anything that those seeds walk through and remain within that faith. We continue to possess it. And the Lord promises to bring peace, peace even in the midst of chaos swirling around us. We can be those who have ears to hear and eyes that see our good Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you. Thank you, God, for your word. I thank you that we can look at it we can be curious about it, uh, we can ask questions of it, and we can see in so many places in Scripture, one place gives us an explanation about another place, or it gives us further layers of richness to who you are and who we are in you. Lord, I thank you for that. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would continue to, for, for those of us who do believe by faith in the truth of the gospel. And we have the ears to hear and the eyes to see. I pray, Lord, that you would increase that hearing for us. That you would increase our sight. That we would hear you as we read the word. We would hear your voice ring out with truth more and more and more, and that it would be more joyous, more life-giving to our soul as we do that. Lord, that you would increase our sight to see you working in our lives, 
in the lives of those around us and in this world, particularly in a season where um, just about everything you see or read is sad and it's devastating. Lord, let us be a people who have sight increasing all of the time and we see you at work. We see you at work in the large things, but also as we meet with a friend who is rejoicing over a good gift that you've given them in their life, would we see that is the Lord at work and praise you for it. Lord, if there are people here who do not believe, I pray, Lord, that you would lovingly, kindly, graciously convict not just their mind, convict their heart, that they would be drawn to you as the one who gives sight and who gives hearing because you bring the very words of life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we take communion together, uh, I'd like to ask you to take a few moments to prayerfully consider a few things. I have a couple of questions written down here that you can consider. Perhaps the Holy Spirit will put something else on your heart as well. Here are the questions to consider. Do you have ears that hear and eyes that see? Are you a sheep of the good shepherd's flock? Do you possess the truth and hope of Jesus Christ as your Lord? Possess it. Do you believe it by faith? And as I said a second ago in my prayer, perhaps you're here and you don't believe. You wouldn't consider yourself a Christian or you're not a Christian. I want to say thanks for coming. I also want to ask you to consider asking the Lord whether he's real and asking for ears that hear and eyes that see because that sense of your own sin that plagues you, haunts you, that voice of shame and condemnation and guilt that you feel is only taken away by faith in Christ. So prayerfully consider those things. We'll come back in a few minutes and take communion together.